0: Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We're actually concluding a three-part series today um, on the life of the Apostle Peter. And uh, we've been talking about his life. We could look at his life from a number of different angles, but we've been talking about his life from the angle of hope, how we can have hope in this life, how we can have our hope restored. And Peter is such a good example of that for us because uh, in in the events surrounding Jesus going to the cross and his crucifixion and then his resurrection, in a very short amount of time, Peter saw his hope crushed. He actually became hopeless because of his failure, because of his weakness, because of bad decisions that he made, because the one he had pinned his hope to was buried in the grave, Peter found himself on Good Friday, the very first Good Friday, hopeless in this life. But over the next several days and weeks and months and even years, Jesus goes about restoring Peter's hope. And we've been looking at that the last two weeks, and we're going to be concluding that series today to see how we can have our hope restored. Before we look at that this morning together, uh, let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. Father, we need to hear from you today, and we need to hear this message. Father, um, because you have included it in your word. Father, we look at our Bible, and it looks like a big book, but in reality, when we think of all that you know and all that you have seen and all that you think about... Um, it is a very short book, and you've in- chosen to include only a few things. And, and one of those things you've chosen to include is the story of Peter and your interaction with him, and specifically the passage we're going to look at today. Father, because of that, we, just, we need this message, and we pray that you would teach us today from it. I pray that you would just help us to, to walk away from today with our hope restored because we see who you are and what you have given to us in Christ. And Father, I pray that you would just protect me from saying anything you wouldn't want said today. Uh, But Father, if I do say something you wouldn't want said, I pray that we would all just forget it immediately. But Father, anything that I share today that you would want us to hear, I pray that you would help us to remember it, to believe it, to to walk out of this place and walk forward into it uh, in the, the power of your Spirit that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, do you have any practical jokers in your life? Uh, do you have somebody that enjoys turning reality on its ear a little bit just, just to get to you? Um, maybe you're the one that enjoys doing that to those around you. Um, you know, you think about famous practical jokers right now in kind of popular cultural vernacular. Think about um, Jim Halpert to Dwight Schrute on The Office right? Always just kind of tweaking with his reality. So for, for the sake of, of a laugh and just, to, and just to get at him a little bit as uh, they, they work on, on the office there on, uh, on TV. You know, that, that's an example of a practical joker. And you know, in my life right now, I really don't have anybody that is that practical joker. And, and I, I said this in first service. I still believe it today. I'm not accepting applications for the position. But uh, there really isn't that sense in my life. But there was a time when I was around some pretty serious practical jokers. Actually, when I was in college, I lived in a fraternity house that was full of such things. And uh, there were a number of practical jokes that actually were, were, were played on one particular guy. And, you know, I, I, I did not participate in this. I was an innocent bystander watching. Some of the things I never even actually saw, but I heard about, and they became legend, uh, things that were done to this poor guy. One of the things, he, he had bothered somebody. He had been doing something. And so they took his television and they took it to an auto glass tenting place uh, without him knowing it. They put a tent on the front of his window. Again, I'm not giving you any ideas. This is a terrible thing to do, but they did it to his TV. They came in a couple days later, and he had the the brightness turned up a little bit, so they took it. They thought, well, he didn't quite figure it out. They put a a darker tent over it until eventually it was just basically black, Um, and uh, that was was one of the things they did to this poor guy. Uh, Another thing they they he had a bunk bed. They took the slats out of his bunk bed and, and just gently set his mattress in there. Thankfully, his roommate was involved in the gag so that he wasn't squished when he climbed into bed uh, that night. But, but th- there's one particular practical joke that was played on this guy that I, I, I was thinking about this week in preparation for today, and that was when they, they actually took his doorknob off and turned it around so that the locking mechanism was on the hall side and not on the inside, and then they locked the door with him inside. Uh, And you know, rumor has it, or legend has it, that he's inside banging on the door for someone, anyone, to let him out because he's now imprisoned in his own room the entire time he has the keys to the door in his pocket. Um, He could have got out at any point. He had the key. But because his reality had been turned just so, Uh, He failed to realize that that very thing. And, and, you know, I I tell you that story today because I think that in our lives, many times we find ourselves in a room with a locked door, and we're not sure how we can get out. We find ourselves, like this friend of mine, banging on the walls, calling out to anybody you can hear, calling out to a friend, calling out to God, saying, help me, I am stuck, I'm in this prison And I will never get out of here. Maybe it's because of failure that is in our lives. Maybe it's because of sin that we've committed. Maybe it's because of circumstances that have crashed down around us or paths that we turned right when we probably should have turned left or whatever it might be. We find ourselves in a spot where we feel like we're in a a holding cell and we're just banging on the walls hoping that someone can hear us. And the reality is when we find ourselves in those spots we find ourselves on the inside banging for someone to let us out, our hope is dying. We begin to lose hope because we think that we'll be stuck there forever. But as believers in Christ, I think it's important for us to remember that God has placed the keys in our pocket all along. He has not placed us in any cells that He wants us to rot within but He has hope to offer all of us. Regardless of what you brought in here with you today, the God of the universe wants to offer you hope today, and we're going to see that hope offered to us from the life of the Apostle Peter. And we're going to look today at another famous passage concerning Peter's life, and that is in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 17. And so if you've got a Bible, open up to Acts 12, 1 to 17. And and in this series, we've looked at some different things. We we looked at how Peter lost his hope in our our first message, and and we saw that he he lost his hope through the combination of circumstances and and failure in his life. and, And then we saw how that hope was resurrected with Christ. And then we saw how Jesus met with The disciples, including Peter, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and had breakfast with them and reinstated Peter into his great purpose. Uh, And we saw that in the second week. And and today we're going to see a third passage where we find hope restored as it relates to Peter, and we see it in Acts 12. And and in Acts 12, it's maybe not quite as familiar a passage, but as I read it, you've probably heard this story before. But I think there's some great things for us here. Um, in these 17 verses. Now, it's one thing that's just kind of an interesting little footnote to this. Uh, these are actually the last words written about Peter in the New Testament historical books. So, that doesn't mean that the rest of the New Testament is not truthful or historical, but it means in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, kind of this history of the ministry of Christ and the early church, um, Peter's story stops for us uh, right here in Acts 12. Um, and so we're going to see kind of the, the end of Peter's life and some of the things that are happening nor- near the end of his life uh, in these verses. And uh, when, when, what I'm going to do, do is we're going to break this down into two sections for us today, two sections where we can, can see a little more about how we can have our hope restored as well. And the first thing we're going to see is that hope persists in the midst of turbulent times. Hope persists in the midst of turbulent times. Now, that's, that's important for us to grasp because, you know, we might think that it's, it's easy to be hopeful when things are going well, but, but hope when things are going well is not near as significant as hope when things are lousy. And we see an indication of how we can continue to have hope in the midst of turbulent times in these verses. And we're going to see it in the first six verses of Acts 12. It begins in verse 1. "'About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread.' Now, in in those six verses, we see a scene painted for us of the early church that is quite turbulent. These were tough times uh, because there had begun to be uh, even more severe persecution of Christians. Now, what's mentioned here is that King Herod had become a part of this. Uh, Herod Agrippa I is who is being referred to in chapter 12 and verse 1. Now, you might think King Herod, and you think back to the person who was leading uh, Judea, the king of Judea at the time when Jesus was born, the one that rebuilt a good section of the temple and added to its grandeur, and he was also the one that was so jealous of this baby born in Bethlehem that he ordered the, the, the murder of all of the baby boys in Bethlehem. That, that, was, that, was, that was a Herod, but that's not this Herod. That was Herod the Great, And Herod the Great had a number of sons who also uh, did various things in the region, and one of those sons was Herod Agrippa I, who is leading uh, Judea, he's the king of Judah at this time uh, in history, somewhere between 41 and 44 A.D. And, And Herod was an interesting guy, this Herod, because he was someone who had Jewish blood within him, he was a Jew, but he was someone whose power had been established by the Romans the Romans said, okay, Herod Agrippa, you're now the king of this this area. And so because of that, even though he was Jewish, he was hated by his fellow countrymen. And and Herod, like a lot of guys, uh, didn't like the fact that the people that he was ruling hated him. And so he always looked for opportunities to gain favor with the people that he was leading. And as he surveyed the scene, he began to notice that the Jewish leaders at the time really did not like these Christians. He saw that they were a, a nuisance to them. See, the Christians, they thought that they would get rid of them by killing their leader, Jesus, but when they crucified Jesus, it didn't shut them up. And when they imprisoned them, it didn't shut them up. When they tried to intimidate him, it didn't shut them up. And these Christians just kept talking and talking and talking, and the Jewish leadership was getting very irritated by them because not only were they leading some, of the, some Jewish people to follow their ways, but they were also actually teaching their message to non-Jewish people the Gentiles, and they were beginning to come into a relationship with Christ and seen as, as right in the kingdom of God. And this really, really bothered the Jewish leaders of the day. And Herod sees this, this anger that they have towards them, and he decides, you know what? I bet I can win some brownie points with the Jewish leaders if I just join their efforts in persecuting the Christians. And so he arrests James, the brother of John, and he kills him with a sword. You know, we know that the disciples, the, the apostles, were, were martyred for their faith. Uh, but this is actually the only recorded martyrdom in the New Testament writings of one of the apostles. Uh, we see here that James, the brother of John, was, was killed with the sword, and he was killed at Herod's direction. And, and Herod's plan worked. The Jewish leaders saw this thing happen, and they said, Hey, thanks, Herod. That was great, and Herod's thinking, "Wow, if they got excited when I took out James, just think of how excited they'll be if I take out Peter." And so they he goes and he arrests Peter with the full intention of killing him. Herod wasn't arresting Peter to try to intimidate him. Herod wasn't arresting Peter because he, he had an empty cell that he wanted to have filled. Herod was arresting Peter because he wanted him done away with because he thought he could gain even more approval from the Jewish leaders. And so, he arrests him. But he doesn't want to kill him right away because this thing is going on that's called the Passover festival. See, there was a Passover day, and then there was a seven-day period after that called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. And in that whole season of time, Herod thought, it'd be bad form for me to kill Peter during the party, and so I'm going to wait until the festival is over, and then I'll take Peter out and I'll kill him. And that is the situation, that's the turbulent times that existed in Acts chapter 12, one to six. That's, this, this is the environment that is going on. You can imagine if, if this was happening in Norman in our church. Just imagine if we got word today that our, our senior pastor, Bruce Hess, had been killed by the Norman city officials because of his faith in Christ. Now, he, he's, not, he's not up here with me right now, so I just want to assure you that's not what happened to him. Um, but let's just imagine that it did. Let's say that the Norman officials arrested Bruce, and they, and they killed him. And then shortly after that, uh, you know, this morning after, as we leave today, um, I'm arrested and, and John Abernathy, one of our pastors, is arrested. Dave Robbins is arrested. And we're, we're, we're being placed in jail with the full understanding that we're to be executed before the week is over. Think about the impact that that would have on our congregation if that was the case. These were turbulent times in the early church. It was difficult in the first church of Jerusalem, um, in the, in the, as we pick up the story here. But in the midst of these difficult times, uh, we see Peter. Now, now, where is Peter in, these, in this story? Uh, Peter is in prison, awaiting his execution. Uh, but what is he doing as he's in prison, awaiting his execution? Chained to a bunch of guards. Verse 6 tells us Peter was sleeping. On the very night that he's going to be turned over to be executed, Peter was sound asleep. Now, the skeptic among us would would look at this passage and say, That just sounds like Peter. Every time he's got a big deal the next day, he's sound asleep when he should be praying or whatever. I mean, we saw that the night before Jesus was to go to the cross, he says, Pray with me, and Peter is just sound asleep. Uh, The skeptic would look at this situation and say that Peter just was sleeping it off, just like he always does. But the reality is, I think, that Peter had had such a change in his life and he knew exactly what was coming ahead of him, but he was approaching it not as one who was panicked, but as someone who had a steady hope in the midst of this turbulent time, in the midst of a a time when it looked like his world was crashing down around him, Peter had hope, so much hope that he was able to be sound asleep in his cell the night before Herod wanted to kill him. That's some serious hope in the midst of turbulent times. Now, I think it's important for us to think about this And I think it's important for us to think about how we can have hope in the midst of of turbulent times uh, because we live in turbulent times. Now, we may not live in a time that is experiencing in a place that is experiencing the kind of persecution that we see here. Uh, Our city officials are not rounding up Christians and killing them in order to win re-election. That's just not something that's happening in this place. It was happening in Acts 12, not something that's happening now. But if we're waiting for the world to be smooth before we have any hope, we're going to be waiting forever because the world in which we live is a turbulent place. It's a place that has a lot of difficulty. I mean, just just check the newspaper, for instance. I mean, I picked up the Norman transcript in my front yard this morning on the way in, and and just on the front page, right here, four duplexes, cars burned Saturday night. There's tales of arrest. There's you know, people being killed around the world in, in kind of global news. I mean, the newspaper is full of turbulent, violent, difficult, frustrating events. This is the world in which we live. If you want to really get agitated, just turn on a 24-hour news network. Just listen to talk radio. There is enough crisis in the world at any point that we are always reminded of what a turbulent place that we live in. But, but the reality is, for all of us, we don't have to go to Tunisia to find turbulence we don't have to go to the transcript to find turbulence we can find plenty of turbulence plenty of difficulty plenty of pain in our very own lives you know we live amidst turbulent times i mean think about the the things that you struggle with think about you know, the, the sin that you've committed that is, has consequences that have compounded in your life and the, and the difficulty that that creates. Think about the, the decisions that you've made and, and, and the consequences that have come back because of those things. Think about the circumstances that you're dealing with, whether it would be illness or death or, 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 or job loss or job instability or whatever it might be. There are plenty of things that are going on in our lives that create enough turbulence all the time. That if we're waiting for the turbulence to stop to have hope, we'll be waiting forever. Furthermore, what good is hope if we only have it when things are smooth? Right? When do you want hope? When do you need hope? You need hope when you're on the inside of a locked door and you think that there is no way that you'll ever get out. You need someone to tell you there's a way. You need someone to remind you that there's a key. Hope means something to us in the contrast of the turbulent times in which we live. So how is it that we can have the hope that Peter has in the midst of our turbulent lives? You know, I've shared this um, before with you guys, but when I think back to to last year for the Robinsons, 2010 in our family, uh, that was a, a very turbulent time for us. I mean, just some things with my wife's health and, and, and a variety of other things going on. It was, a, it was a difficult, difficult year for us. And we, it's January 2011. In January 2010, we look back at that as this incredibly difficult, turbulent time. And it had, you know, echoing effects throughout our entire year. Things that we're still kind of plowing through right now. And, you know, we, we think of you know, January 2010 is that time for us. I mean, when is the time for you? Think back over your last 12 months. You've probably got a season in your last 12 months that you look at as your family and your family's lore and your family's conversation as that difficult month, that difficult season. Maybe you say, you know, it it was February 2010. Maybe you say it was It was October. It was December. It was was today. I'm right in it right now. I mean, you think of it in terms of that, but, but the reality is that trouble knows no season. It's not confined to just one month. We live in a turbulent world, and how can we have hope in the midst of this world in which we live? How can we have our hope restored? Well, we find that Peter was able to have a hope that persisted in Turbulent times, and that hope that he had was a hope that was anchored clearly to that risen Savior that walked out of the tomb that he saw and that restored him and told him that he was riches and not rags on the sea of the shore of, of, of the sea of Galilee. See, Peter had that kind of hope that was there, so that when he finds himself in the cell in the midst of turbulent times, his hope can persist. And I think the challenge to us. To all of us as as a people who want to have hope when we're found in the cell, the challenge for us is to to begin walking with God right now. If if things are smooth or mostly smooth or or getting smoother or wherever they are in our lives, we need to begin walking with God right now so that we have reserves built up when we find ourselves in those times of difficulty. Think about it this way If, if I told you there was a big snowstorm coming in on Wednesday, you know. One of these big storms like we had last, you know, Christmas, you know, 13 months ago. Twenty-something inches of snow, it's going to shut everything down. What would you do today, tomorrow, and Tuesday? You'd go to the store, you'd, you'd buy some groceries, you'd, you'd stock the pantry, so that when the storm came, you would have plenty in, in, of food stored away to, to tide you over through the midst of the difficulty that was coming. And the reality is in our relationship with God, we need to be storing food away, spiritual food away today so that we can nourish, find nourishment when everything falls apart. You know, one of the things that I've heard my wife say several times in regards to last year, and it was, you know, when, when everything fell apart with her health and, and it was a really difficult time one of the things I've heard her say is, you know, I'm so thankful that I uh, read my Bible when things were going better. I'm so thankful that I, that I had time that I spent in prayer when things were going better. I'm so grateful that I cultivated fellowship with other believers when things were going better, because when, when, the, when the storm really hit, it was hard to read. It was hard to think straight and even pray. It was hard to gather with other people, there, there was a, it became a time because of the storm when it was difficult to get the nourishment that she needed, but she said that one of the things that so encouraged her was to, to know that because she had a pantry full of God's bread, she didn't go hungry when the storm hit. And, you know, one of the ways in which we have hope in the midst of turbulent times is we begin walking with God. We continue walking with God today before the storm totally takes us out, so that we have nourishment when we find ourselves in the cell. You know, my my challenge to to all of us today is to to think about what is one thing you could do, what's one thing you could do starting today in this year that that would help strengthen your spiritual life? What's one thing you could do that would give you some added strength. You know, maybe it is that you're going to, you know, begin reading more of God's Word. Maybe it's you want to spend some more time in prayer. Maybe it's you want to gather and fellowship with other believers, whether it be in one of our adult fellowship groups on Sunday morning here or, or college or a small group or whatever it is. But if that you would have some place that you could go to begin to make some deposits into your spiritual cupboard so that when... The difficulty comes and you find yourself in the cell like Peter did. You don't find yourself hungry and hopeless. But you have your hope sustained because of what God has given you in the past. See, one of the things we need to think about is that a hope that persists in difficult times, is a hope that continues on from right today. Peter had a hope because he had walked with God through many things. And God had built his trust in him. As we walk with God today, as we begin making these small investments in our spiritual life this year, we can find ourselves finding nourishment instead of hopelessness when things go bad. But the story doesn't just end there. The first thing that we need to see is that the hope can persist in the turbulent times, but there's a second thing that we need to see from this passage, and that is this. Hope sees a three-sided box. Hope sees a three-sided box. Now, that sounds a little strange. You know, what do I mean by saying that hope sees a three-sided box? Well, you can imagine if you were trapped in a box and you were trying to find a way of escape, it would feel quite hopeless. I mean, imagine this little drum cage right here, Tony's little cage over here. Let's imagine that somehow that magically lifted up and landed right on top of me here and I was stuck in that, in, that, in that box, and I'm pressing on every side, and I'm hitting plexiglass, and I'm pressing up, and I'm hitting um, sound dampening material, whatever that is. I'm, I'm pressing on all these things, and I'm, I'm trapped in this cage, but let's say that unbeknownst to me, when the cage came over, the back was not placed in it, and I could press this way, and this way, and this way, and this way, and hit resistance and be held captive, but if I just would have turned around and looked behind me, I would have seen that there was a way out. See, the reality is that hope lives in a, lives a life that understands that we live our lives. Our difficulties are three-sided boxes. There is a way out, and that way out is found through the Lord. He's placed the key in our pocket. He has left a way for us every time. And we see that continuing on in verse 5. It says this, it says, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and he woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself, put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered and were praying. And when he knocked on the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now, what's interesting in this passage is, as Peter is in prison awaiting his execution, the believers in the church of Jerusalem uh, were seeking the Lord and asking for Him to show what that open side to the box was. Uh, The members of the first church of Jerusalem were gathered at a home, and they were praying for Peter's release. They were praying for God to do something uh, in this situation. They were praying for His encouragement. We don't know exactly what they were praying for, but they were praying earnestly and expectantly that night as Peter sat uh, in jail. And while they're praying, an angel comes to Peter, and Peter was sitting. It says that he was guarded by four squads of soldiers. That was 16 soldiers. That would well, Basically what it was is there was always four soldiers at his side that were working in six-hour shifts, 24 hours a day, he always had four soldiers at his side. He was chained to a soldier on both sides of him, and there were two soldiers that guarded the door. Now, This was more than the average prisoner would get. I think that Herod had an understanding that Peter had escaped from prison earlier because God had freed him supernaturally, and Herod didn't want that kind of embarrassment on his watch. So he gives extra soldiers to guard where Peter is being kept. Uh, but that, those extra guards are nothing for the God of the universe. Uh, in response to the people's prayers, God sends an angel into the cell who causes the chains that are binding him to his guards to just fall off. The guards fall asleep. The door to the prison opens up like an automatic door before there were automatic doors. It just opened and out walks Peter into the streets. Now, it says that Peter wasn't certain what was happening. Peter thought maybe this was just a vision, which would have been a normal thing for Peter to think because uh, just a few chapters earlier in the book of Acts, God had given Peter a vision of some animals on a sheet to tell him that he wanted him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, God was in the business of giving Peter visions to guide his paths, and Peter is thinking as he's being led out the prison, that maybe this is just another vision for an object lesson with God. But when Peter hits the streets, and the cold air hits his skin, and the angel just disappears, suddenly Peter says, I think this is real. And when he realizes that the situation that was going on was real, Peter immediately thinks, I'm going to go to the place where the church would be gathered. I'm going to go to the home of John Mark's and his mother Mary, and I 'm going to see the believers who are who are gathered there, and so he he takes off in that direction now what's interesting about this and I, this is just a side note this is not really what the message is about, but I just think it's interesting that sometimes we think of the Jerusalem church and how it operated. We think of Acts chapter two and we think of Acts chapter three and even parts of four where where people were coming and living communally and where people were selling their goods to provide for those indeed. And sometimes you get this idea that that everybody was doing that and that that's the way the church should be. And, and the reality is that the spirit of that was great, but the reality was that some still maintained their residence. Uh, John Mark's mother Mary had a home, and, and, and apparently it was a quite an impressive home that had an outer gate and a courtyard and uh, a place where a number of believers could gather on the inside, and God used that too. And so it's at Mary's home, that Peter shows up. Now, there's tons of humor that comes in that that account. Think about what happened. Uh, the, The gate to the prison opened automatically. The gate of the prayer meeting stays firmly locked while their friend, who they're praying for and who is a fugitive on the run from Herod Agrippa I, they leave him standing out in the street because Rhoda, the servant, is so excited. Hey, we're praying in there. There he is. And she goes running back to tell him, hey, Peter's out there. And, and of course, they, they totally buy it, right? No, they didn't believe it at all. They're, they're thinking, this. hey, hang on, just calm down, calm down, calm down. It can't be him. He's in prison. It, it may be, it says in the text his angel, I, I think that, that there 's a number of possibilities for what they might have meant. They might have meant that it was peter 's guardian angel, just an idea that there 's an angel that kind of looks like Peter that 's been looking out for him, and there 's some thought that that was what they were thinking there 's other thought that, that, that you know the word angel literally means messenger that maybe Peter had sent someone from prison to to relay a message to the church in Jerusalem. Some thought that maybe that was what was going on. Some thought that uh, maybe the church thought that peter had been killed by Herod, and was making a posthumous appearance at the door, and uh, that was what was going on. Well, whatever it is, they clearly are not thinking that the actual real Peter, chains fell off and he walked out. One, one interesting thing to note with that is it gives us an indication about prayer, doesn't it? God's not bound by the, our requests, and He's also not bound by how uh, fervently we, we ask for it, or how fervently we believe it will come true. They so didn't believe that he was going to show up that when the servant says, he's here, they said, no, he's not. But clearly, the church, even if they didn't think he was going to be standing outside, the church believed that God was going to provide a way for Peter. They believed that there was a a fourth side to that box that was missing and that God was going to do something. And God did. He rescued Peter. Now, one thing that is important for us to, to think about, though, is that, yeah, God did that for Peter, but what about for James? You know, God rescued Peter, but James died at the sword. Does God only answer prayers for Peter, and He doesn't answer prayers for James? Does the the box have a fourth side for James, but not for Peter? I mean, what's going on? And and you know, I think that when you ask that question, uh, that's a hard one to answer, and so I'm going to appeal to somebody smarter than me. Um, I'm going to uh, I saw a quote from a man named J. Vernon McGee, who is a Bible teacher no longer uh, on the planet, but um, had a number of good things to say. You'll, you might hear him posthumously on the radio uh, still. But uh, J. Vernon McGee says this of this incident. And he says, the answer to whether, why James died and Peter didn't is that this is the sovereign will of God. He still moves like this in the contemporary church. I've been in the ministry for many years, and I have seen the Lord reach in and take certain wonderful members out of the church by death. And then there are others whom He has left. Why would He do that? If He asked me, now keep in mind, this is J. Vernon McGee, I'm quoting him. If He asked me, from my viewpoint as a pastor, I would say that He took the wrong one and He left the wrong one. But life and death are in the hands of a sovereign God. This is His universe, not ours. It is God's church, not ours. The hand of a sovereign God moves in the church. And, and I, I think McGee has it right on the, on the money. But I think that one of the things that we, we need to remember is that the box had three sides for both men. For, for James, the answer was that he was to die at the sword. But where did James go then? He went to glory at the side of the Savior. God answered the prayers of the church in a mighty way for James in that he no longer had to live in the turbulent world. For Peter, the answer was God still had some ministry and purpose for him in this life, and so he rescued him from prison and he had him continue to live his life. But in both cases, God answered the prayers, and he answered the prayers by taking them through the third side that was missing and offering something great to them in return even if it might not have looked that way at the time, God was ministering to their needs. And the church realized that and recognized that, and they were seeking the Lord in prayer in the midst of their turbulent times. And that's what hope does. And I think about this uh, as far as an application goes for us. You know, what do we do with this? I think one of the things that we need to do in response to this is that we ought to be people who are fostering hope through prayer. We ought to be people that understand that in our boxes that feel like we are there confining us, that God has a, a fourth side removed. We're in a three-sided box, and we can trust Him to lead us the way out. And, and we, the way that we do that is that we bring our requests before Him in prayer. Uh, Puritan writer and thinker Thomas Watson you know, I I'm, I'm, was not familiar with Thomas Watson uh, before I was preparing for this. And when I hear Tom Watson, I think of a golfer, but apparently there was a Thomas Watson who was a Puritan, and he said some great things, including this one. He says, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. Isn't that great? The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. You know, God delights when we trust in Him. And we demonstrate our trust in the Lord many times through praying and asking Him to work, asking Him to lead us through the side that is not there, asking Him to show us the key that will unlock the prison that we find ourselves in. What are you doing to pray? What are the things that are helping to feed your prayer life right now? this year? Are you spending some time uh, praying? Wildwood has a number of things. We have a group on Wednesday night that meets in this room right back through those double doors at the back uh, that prays on Wednesday evenings. You could join them. Uh, we, we have a prayer wall on our website, wildwoodchurch.org. You can post requests to that, and, and we're able to collect requests through that and, and be able to, to lift up uh, to collectively, together, all of us, uh, the needs that we have before the Lord. Um, just in your personal time, you know, how are you praying uh, for the things that you're you're going through? Uh, they're demonstrations of our belief and hope that God wants a better way for us; that He has a way out in the midst of our difficulties. You know, we can have our hope restored. We can. we We've seen that we have a living hope. Because Jesus raised from the dead, all of us have hope for life. And we've seen that not only do we have a living hope in Christ, but that we have value because our value is found in Him who sees us as His riches and not rags. And ultimately, we can live into that hope by bringing our requests before Him in prayer and trusting Him to lead us the way out, whether it's the James way, or the Peter way, whatever it is, it's God's way for us, providing care for us and hope for us, restoring us in this life. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Father, I, I just uh, thank you for the great chance we've had over the last few weeks to look at this passage and these passages together. And I, I pray that we would just be people who would cling to you. We'd be people who would be storing up uh, experience with you now to sustain us in the storms that are coming. And that we would be people who would have a hope that persists even in a world that is shaky. And uh, Father, we, we know that all those things are possible in Christ and in Him alone. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.